Well, welcome to, to Headlines Week number three. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus, those of you who are watching at the Ferndale campus, and those who are watching online as well. I found a headline this past week that, that really needs no explanation. So if I could see the picture, just pop to the next one. I love this. Something went wrong in jet crash, expert says, Okay. Thank you so much, Einstein. You know, that's what everybody needs. They need someone that can walk up to a pile of wreckage and say, something must have gone wrong, right? You know, we're doing a series called Headlines that's taking us inside the final weeks of the life of an itinerant Jewish rabbi who dared to preach a message of repentance and restoration. Jesus had been out doing ministry. He'd been healing people. He'd been teaching as a part of God's master plan. And then he heads to Jerusalem and, and news of his arrival actually kicks off an impromptu parade. The people believe that their conquering king has arrived to deliver them from Rome. They believe Rome is about to be defeated. The oppression's going to be gone. They are unbelievably excited. And the Bible says this is what happened. It says, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches that they'd cut in the fields. And those who went ahead of those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom, the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The word Hosanna literally means save us. They're saying, save us, God. Save us from the oppression of Rome. The Roman Empire was brutal. Thousands of people had been executed at this particular point in history. And then they're saying, save us from the oppression. Save us from the bondage. Save us from our broken lives, God. Save us, God. God, we need some help here. Over the last eight years, I've had a recurring theme on Palm Sunday weekend. I believe Palm Sunday is one of the most bittersweet moments in all of Scripture. I believe it's bittersweet. And, and it prompts a question deep inside. I think the question that we need to ask and answer is this. Was Jesus disappointed? Now some of you are like, why would he be disappointed? They're throwing him a parade. I mean, he's the guest of honor. Who wouldn't want a parade thrown in their honor? Wouldn't he actually be happy? Well, let me ask you. Would you be happy if you knew this fact? The same people who shouted, save us just a few days later, would be crying, crucify him. Would you be disappointed if you knew that? I mean, I just have to wonder if down in the depths of his soul, Jesus was disappointed because he knew what was coming. I wonder if he thought back just to a couple of days earlier when disappointment seemed to, to kind of be the revolving theme of a day that Jesus lived. You know, I think about it this way. The entrance into Jerusalem must have been an unbelievable spiritual high. But just a couple of days later, when everybody is devastated because Jesus is hanging on a cross, dying, all of a sudden you've gone from a spiritual high to a spiritual low. Well, just a couple of days earlier, the life of Jesus actually mirrors this going on. The Bible says that, 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 that Good Friday happens after the parade. I actually want to talk about what happened before the parade. Because it will change the way you look at your holy week. Just before the parade, Jesus takes his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, up to the top of a mountain, and they have a meeting with Elijah and Moses. Let me tell you why that's a big deal. Elijah and Moses have been dead for centuries, okay? When you get to have a meeting with two guys who've been dead for centuries, that's a really big deal. And up on the top of this mountain, 
God comes and he visits with Jesus and his friends. A cloud comes and surrounds the top of the mountain with the middle of this meeting. And then God says out loud, this is my son. I love him with everything I have. And you people should listen to him. That's what happens on the Mount of Transfiguration, as it's called. Well, I'm sure these guys were just on a spiritual high. Hanging out with Jesus, God the Father, Moses, and Elijah. That sounds like a really good time to me. And then they come down off the side of the mountain, and they are confronted with real people with real needs. They come down from a spiritual high, and they're met by a crowd of people with all kinds of problems. And reality just smacks them in the face, and their wonderful spiritual high vanishes. They wade into a crowd, and in that crowd we find a story of disappointment. And I just want to unpack it for you. The Bible says this. If you've got a Bible with you, that's great. You can turn to Mark chapter 9 if you'd like to look on the outline. All of the scriptures are listed there as well. The Bible says, a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who's possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. And he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Can you hear what he's saying? I brought you my son, Jesus, but you were busy up on the mountain. I came looking for help, and you were gone. I needed you, and you were busy. Let me sum it up for you. The boy's father is disappointed in Jesus. He's disappointed that God wasn't there. I called out to you, and you didn't answer, God. You weren't around, so I did the next best thing. I actually went to your followers, and you know what? They couldn't get the job done either. The boy's father is not only disappointed in Jesus, the boy's father is also very disappointed in the disciples. Can you hear the pain in his voice? Can you hear the accusation? I went to Jesus and his followers with a problem and nothing changed. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever had an unanswered prayer or an unmet need? Have you ever had an ungodly response from people who said they were following God? How did it leave you when it happened? Were you disappointed just a little? Hold on, because the disappointment's about to spread and it's going to get ugly. The Bible goes on and says this, You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? You bring the boy to me. I believe we can say this, Jesus is disappointed in the lack of faith that he sees. He's disappointed too. His disciples should have been able to take care of this. They've been trained in this. They knew exactly what they were supposed to do. They'd actually done it before. I want you to know something here because it's unbelievably crucial. The failure of God's people is not the same as the failure of God himself. We've got to define that. People are human. They're going to disappoint you at some level. If it hasn't happened already, I'm just going to say it to you. At some point in your life, people are going to disappoint you. Do we get that? People are going to disappoint you. Here's the other part of the bad news. At some point, you're going to be the source of somebody else's disappointment. Some of you are like, will not. Will so. Yes, you will. Look at the response of Jesus. When people fail to live up to expectations, he says this, you bring that kid to me. Verse 20 says this, so they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. 
He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. Now just stop for a second. We get to see the humanity of the dad here for just a second. If you're a parent and you've ever sat up all night long with a sick kid praying for morning to come, you know exactly how this dad feels. If you've raised a prodigal and you've stayed up to the middle of the night hoping and praying that they'll come home but being terrified about what might actually happen if they do, you know exactly how this dad feels. Day after day, week after week, he's watched this thing ruin his son's life. I want you to listen to his pain in verse 22. It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. If you can. Everything is possible for one who believes. I want you to notice something. Just stop. Freeze right here in the middle of the story. There's not one patient, the boy. There's two. Jesus, the great physician, not only recognizes he's got some work to do with the demon-possessed son, he's got some work to do with the dad. Because the dad is missing a vital piece, and he's desperately disappointed. He's got two patients, and all of a sudden, the dad gets it. Look at verse 24. The Bible says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What's the dad saying there? He's saying this. The father's boy's disappointed in himself. One second earlier was, help my son. Now suddenly, it's, you got to help me. Now, when I read this, I've got this logical progression in my brain. Maybe you would agree with me. God just healed the son, and then the dad's going to fall in line. That's the logical progression. Why don't you get with the program, Jesus? That's not the progression that Jesus sees here. He doesn't work in that order. No, Jesus wants the Father to come to him. He knows he can help the Son, but he also wants to heal the Father. He wants to meet him in his disappointment so that he can touch his heart and send him in a different direction. Story goes on, verse 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. Okay, so far in the story, everybody's been disappointed. Here's my favorite one. The demon is disappointed that Jesus showed up. That's the best part of the story. The demon's having a good day. The kid's freaked out. The dad's a mess. People are freaking out. He thinks he's already charted one of the best days in demon history. So he puts up his feet, enjoys a plate of deviled eggs. Did you get that? Okay. (laughs) Stay with me. All right. And then Jesus shows up and messes the whole thing. Some of you are just getting that now. Okay. Just stay with me. Okay. All of a sudden for the demon, the party's over because he hears the voice of the living God saying, you come out of him and don't you ever come back again. The Bible continues. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only 
come out by prayer. We've got to make sure everybody gets a turn, right? So in this last little sentence there, we realize the di- disciples are disappointed in themselves. They thought they should have been able to do this. Why didn't it work, Jesus? We've done it before. I guess maybe we just don't get it the way we're supposed to. I tell you, boy, you read that story, there's a lot of dis- disappointment to go around, isn't there? So I'm going to ask a question. Stay with me now. Have you ever been disappointed in God? Sounds a little blasphemous even to ask the question, doesn't it? Everybody just kind of just froze, right? You ever been disappointed in God? Have you ever had a moment when you were praying for something and the answer just seemed so unbelievably obvious? Come on, God, just give me a yes. It's perfect. I encounter this every time I ask God to heal somebody and the answer is no. I even have a list of uh, uh, promises and conditions that I love to attach. God, if you heal this person, we will make your name famous. We will shout, and we will throw a parade, and we will throw a party. Come on, God, this is perfect. The timing is perfect. Look at all of the people who are going to be touched about this. Come on, God. Come on, God. Come on, God. I'll tell you what. It's hard when you have really great reasons, and the answer sometimes is still no. It's tough. Those are the moments when you come face to face with a sentence like this. God, I believe... But it's hard right now. Would you help my unbelief? I've actually already shared with you every single point that I'm going to make today. Because they're all right there inside of the story. But in case you missed them, let's just rewind the tape and go back over just a couple of truths that I believe every single one of us needs to know. Because I don't believe there's a person in this room, if they were completely and totally honest, and that includes Ferndale, if you were completely and totally honest, that you would have to say, there's been at least one moment in your life when you were pretty disappointed with God and His answer. So let's talk about it. Let's not hide behind it. Let's not slap a bumper sticker on it. Let's get as honest and real as this father did when he came to Jesus and said, I brought you my kid. Nothing could help. I believe, but I need your help with my unbelief. So what do we need to know about disappointment? Number one is this. The root of all disappointment is unmet expectations. Happens with everybody all the time. Especially with humans. Somebody lets us down. Our spouse forgets an anniversary. Our hard work goes unnoticed by our boss. We need a friend and they're too busy. We expect the pastor to remember our names, even though there's over 4,000 of us. (laughs) Throw it in, right? We expect people to have our back. And then in a moment when they could have proved themselves, they throw us under the bus instead. And those are just people. Can I tell you something about those disappointments? They're legit. They're real, and everybody in this room has at least one or two of those in their life. But the stakes go even higher when it comes to God. When a prayer goes unanswered, when a bailout doesn't come, when a healing that you want never materializes, we become disappointment. And I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing wrong with being disappointed as long as you don't let it build up in your soul to the point of unbelief. When you cross the line of unbelief, you are in a desperate and lonely, lonely place. 
All disappointment comes from unmet expectations. Secondly, the fact that I'm disappointed doesn't diminish God's power. Just because I'm disappointed doesn't mean God's not there. Just because I'm disappointed doesn't mean that God has suddenly left or that he's done with my situation. Just because I didn't get my answer on my timeline doesn't mean that Jesus fell off the throne in heaven. That's not what it means. No, God still has all of his power available to him. He's still moving. He's still working. It may not have been the way I wanted it, but I can never forget this. He is God. He can see things I can't see, and he knows things that I can't know. His ways are mysterious. That's what the Bible says. But his character is always perfect. Even when it doesn't line up with you and you're disappointed. The overarching principle is God is still perfect. Number three, my disappointment with God is rooted in myself, not in God. I mean, all you got to do is read the story. You figure this out. The man's issue is not with God. His issue is actually with himself. It's with his own unbelief. He knows God can touch his son, but he's struggling to believe. And so he gets stuck in doubt. He essentially says this, God, I believe in you, but I need some help with that untrusting part of me that won't believe that you're going to come through. The part of me that stopped following you. The part of me that convinced myself to stop asking. The part of me that got angry just because it was a no. He prays, God, deal with that part of me very, very quickly. I'm going to tell you something. That's a dangerous prayer when you pray that God will deal with that stuff in your life. If you pray that prayer, welcome to some pain, but it's worth it. A couple of summers ago, I I sliced open the bottom of my foot in a a boating accident. Went to the ER, and, and they actually had to freeze my foot. And the nurse told me, she goes, this is the most pain you will ever feel in your life. Because under your, you know, worn feet... Are the, there's just an enti- intensely little bundle of nerves, and I'm going to stick a needle right in the middle of it. It hurt. Bad. I thought bad things that you would not think a pastor would think. I did not like that nurse at all. Even though she was very nice, she hurt me. I didn't like what she was doing, but I was trusting something. I was trusting that the pain of freezing was actually less than the pain of having my foot stitched up without it. You get that? The pain of freezing was actually a better pain because the moment of pain was also bringing closer a point of relief. There's a relief that floods your soul when you realize that the reason for your disappointment is actually you and your perception and not in the God who loves you. Two totally different things. And finally, my disappointment overlooks God's potential. You know, when life pulls the rug out from underneath of you and you crash, when those that you thought should have helped you, but they didn't, when those who who you thought would be there with you through thick and thin aren't. When you know exactly what it is that you need, but you lack the strength to actually reach for it. When you've exhausted 
every single one of your earthly options, and you finally turn to the one who can actually help, in that moment you are perfectly aligned with God's potential because you finally turn to Jesus who has limitless potential to transform your life. My question to me is this. Why do I wait to the very last second to include God in the pain instead of inviting him in right at the beginning? Anybody else ever done that? Ran out of options. Jesus, help me. What if it was this? Jesus, help me forget the options. Forget the options. You know, uh, I want you to think about the level of disappointment that the followers of Jesus felt on Good Friday. They thought they had a king. They thought they'd won. They thought if they served a king, that they would all be princes and princesses in this great new kingdom that was going to come. And yet just a few days after the triumphal entry into into Jerusalem, when they're standing there throwing palm branches saying, Hosanna, God save us, just a couple of days later, the king's on a cross and he's not breathing. That is devastating disappointment. But I want to point something out to you. Inside of the disappointment of Good Friday, Jesus was just getting started. Do you understand that? In the midst of the devastation and the disappointment, Jesus is just beginning to do his best work. He's laying the groundwork to be delivered and to buy your soul back, to ransom your soul. He's doing all of that in the midst of the disappointment. These people were absolutely devastated. But the potential of God was just beginning to show itself. As I wrap up, I want want to share what Jesus says to the Father, His kid, and His disciples. And I'm going to warn you on the front end. What you're about to hear, you're not going to like. You're not going to like it because it almost sounds like a bumper sticker and you know something about Christ the King. We are allergic to bumper sticker answers around this place. We don't do, God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Not when you just had a car accident. That does not seem right to you. That doesn't connect. Now we're going to talk about the truth of it in a minute, but what you're going to hear is going to seem like a bumper sticker unless you look deeper. Because here's Jesus' answer to those who've been disappointed. Here's what he says. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Not just the request and the need. Bring me your disappointment. Don't hold on to it. You're going to have to release it. You're going to have to give it to God. You're going to have to pry your fingers off of it. Because disappointment becomes a very good friend when you're getting ready to get bitter. I need you to actually bring the disappointment. I need you to acknowledge and say it out loud. It's not going to surprise him. He already knows that it's there. But he needs you to bring it to him because that's a statement of trust. When you can trust God with your deepest disappointment, then you're ready to have the conversations that God loves to have. Secondly, he says this, pray. You're like, wow, that's rocket science. Thanks for the deep theology, pastor. But I want you to understand something. This is not pray harder. 
It's not pray with more passion. It's not do more. It's not create a formula. No, it's a different kind of a prayer. It's the same prayer that the dad had to pray. Jesus, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Help me in that part of me that doesn't want to believe you, doesn't want to trust you, that got stuck in its disappointment way back. God, help me in that. I'm believing, but I need help in the cracks of my unbelief when I'm, when I'm struggling and when I'm hurting, when I'm being human. Help me. That's all he says. Bring it to me and pray. Pray a different prayer than you're used to praying, but you bring it to me. Surrender it and then pray. I mean, I've seen people go through unbelievable devastation in their lives. And I've basically seen three responses. One is some, one group of people just loses their faith in God altogether. Another group continues to believe, but they get this faulty image of God that somehow God's trying to punish them every time he says no. Sometimes, this may, not, this may be a surprise to you, he's not punishing you, he's actually protecting you. And thirdly, there's a group of people that in spite of everything that's going on around them, remain trusting that God is sovereign, good, loving, even when they're disappointed. So, Thursday afternoon, I went to Whitney Whitehead's funeral and memorial service. Didn't have to do much because the other pastors that are on our team just did a phenomenal job. Pastor Denny Starbuck, just wow. Man, she just hit the ball out of the park. I had to do some little things kind of at the beginning, at the end, and got to put some context around the pain and the grief. And when we were done, I went back up to my office, loosened my tie. Yes, I own one. Um, got ready to review my message for the weekend, and I got interrupted. When the Holy Spirit said, before you talk to anybody else about their disappointment with me, maybe you and I better talk about yours. I'm not disappointed in God. I'm a pastor. Really? Are you sure? I've got some relationships that I asked God to fix a long, long time ago. And the last time I checked, they're not fixed yet. I've got a standing prayer request about my wife's health that I've been praying every day for 18 years. Last time I checked, she still struggles to see. And I have a little pile of rubber bracelets in my office desk. And every time I see them, it breaks my heart. Because I've collected this little pile of bracelets from terminally ill kids from this church family that I begged God to heal. And the answer was no. Got a pink one from Chelsea, one of the most amazing 15-year-old girls I've ever met. I've got one that says Uumgawa on it from a little boy named Kylie who passed away when he was seven from a brain tumor. Got a bunch of other ones, and I added a blue one that said Whitney on it this past week. And God and I had a really difficult conversation about the fact that no one is immune from this being disappointed from time to time. And he said to me the same thing he said to this father and the same thing he said to you today. Bring it to me. 
And I don't want to disturb the mood, but if we have an EMT or a doctor in the room, I need you to go to the commons right this second, okay? So if you're an EMT or a doctor or critical care nurse, if you could head out there, they could use their hand. You're heading towards Denny's. Where are you going? We got an answer right there. We're good. Thank you. The same thing that God said to them, he says to us, you bring your disappointment to me. Because I'm the only one that can heal that. I'm the only one with enough power and potential to actually be able to give you just a snapshot of why. Just a little bit. So we all end up praying exactly the same thing. I believe God. Help me in my unbelief. I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is John Bauer. John's a, a fellow Canadian from way up north in northern Alberta. And if you've been around Christ the King before, you've actually heard John lead us in worship and sing before. And John's going to come and just share a little bit of, of his life, something that's been happening inside of his world that has the potential to bring the same disappointment that we all deal with because we live in a broken place. And then John's going to sing over you and then we're going to come to God together. John, I think we can all agree it's, it's easy to praise God when the answer is yes. I'll praise your name, Jesus. Everything's perfect. What about when it's a no? What about when it's a wait? In that moment, can we still say, I will praise your name because I trust you. I believe God Help me in my unbelief. Let's pray together as we close. Father God, I, I thank you that uh, prayer is not wishful thinking. Lord, ins instead it speaks to the very root of unbelief. God, would you help us, regardless of the answer, to bring it to you. Father, that, that, that we could believe that you're going to bring us through. Bring us through the yeses and bring us through the noes. Father, may the words of our mouth be the same as that of Job years ago. Who in spite of being radically disappointed by everything that had happened in his world, still said and clung to the truth. I know my Redeemer lives. May that bring us great joy today. May that push the disappointment out of our heart and may it be replaced with trust. Lord, may the questions be given understanding and frames. Frames that say, God, I believe. Meet me in my unbelief. May I be like that father who brought his son to Jesus because he was the only one who could touch and heal not only his son, but his struggling heart. May we walk with the joy of knowing you are there through this holy week. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.
Amen.